1: Welcome back to Under the Shield Presents Fight in Progress. Good morning, Susan.
2: Good morning, Tom. I think he finally has it down. How long has it been um, now? It's
0: a been a half? 96 years. <laughs> 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 kind of feels that
2: way sometimes, doesn't it, Joelle? <laughs> anyway, this is Susan Simmons, one of your hosts.
1: And I'm Tom Hobbled.
2: Yep, and we're back in studio. No Zoom today. No Zoom. And I am free of radiation. Well... I'm free of the treatment. Don't think I'm glowing in the dark. And I'm still doing chemo till November. If, I don't know, I may decide one day, I don't want to do this anymore and I just don't do it
1: okay well
2: hey we all we all have choices in life that's
1: right it's your choice
2: this week i'm going i'll let them know I'll, in 3 i'll weeks.
0: just mix it up in your mashed potatoes i think mean,
1: that's how it works <laughs> <laughs> is that how it works but remember i'm not eating <laughs> but i'm not eating uh, so you true. can't put in my mashed yeah.
2: potatoes <laughs> nice try though. I,
1: I thought during this phase of your treatment your appetite's supposed to come back and everything? They lied. Okay. <laughs> all right. Well, it, it isn't
2: that the appetite hadn't been there. It's that the food right. tastes like crap. Yeah. Now, I did find my favorite, all-time favorite boiled peanuts. I made some, and they actually tasted almost normal.
1: <laughs> almost but, normal. But close enough that wow. I actually
2: ate them all. You
1: know, nice. you're going to have to share that with me sometime.
2: <sighs> Sherry... <laughs> says they're the most disgusting things she's ever eaten, so you have to say you like them whether you do or you don't. Yeah, but boiled
0: peanuts just doesn't sound...
2: Don't talk about things you know nothing I about. I mean, they sound stirring. delicious. They young, sound young delicious. Man. Roll yeah. ties. It's definitely <laughs> Roll a Southern ties. thing. <laughs> <laughs> it is, I, but I will make some and bring them in here, but y'all better talk about how awesome they are. All right. I'm just telling you. But right now, that's about the only thing I feel like really I can eat, so um yeah, It. Hey, another five pounds down. <laughs> five more, and I'll be at my training weight from college when I was figure skating. It's all good. So what else is new other than you and I are going to Winslow to teach?
1: Yes, we'll Ooh, be Woo We'll be soon. sitting
2: on a corner cool. in Winslow, Bull, Arizona. Arizona. You guys
0: it. got a busy month.
2: We do. We go to Winslow, then we go to Bullhead City, then we go to... Bisbee. No, no Bisbee, Bisbee, and then Bullhead City. Yeah, yeah. Bisbee. twice Twice. for four days total
0: (laughs) don't worry guys i'll hold it down here
1: (laughs)
2: that's my big concern you want would you like mac to come live with you also
0: Uh, um (laughs) i volunteer my assistant becky for that (laughs) Uh,
2: yeah she was here yesterday trying to help us clean up but she's eight months now and 70 plus pounds and C B D doesn't do a thing for mm. her. Nothing.
0: I definitely thought you were talking about Becky for a second. I think like, she's <laughs> eight months pregnant. <laughs> just... I said old, not pregnant. Jeez. Wow.
2: Y'all y'all just y'all ain't right. Y'all y'all mistreat my girl too much. That's just wrong. So, Tom, who do we have with us today?
1: Today we have a special guest. Well, now she's living here in Arizona. But
2: yeah, that's good. It's which in is, studio. Yeah. We like in studio. Which is good.
1: But she still had a trek, though, coming up from the very north, north end of the valley. True. So,
2: people that don't live out here don't understand. I People would talk about living in the valley when I moved out here, and I thought... Is that just some fancy term for money or something? Because I'm like, I don't really think of it as a valley.
1: Yeah, well, if, if you s- could stand out and look around. We are surrounded by mountains.
2: Well, I'm going to have to get Aaron to take me there up in the helicopter there so that go. I can actually get the visual. I've yeah. only been here 11 years. You'd think I'd have it down by now.
1: And it has been the Valley of the Sun this week, 110. Oh it's been Nice.
2: Yeah, but <laughs> Alabama the temps have been like uh, 108 with heat index with humidity of yeah. 115. I'm laughing, going, "Yeah, y'all enjoy that humidity because they yeah, usually give go. me hell about our temperatures." But <laughs> um, but y'all, yeah, this East Valley, West Valley. So I guess you're technically North Valley. Is there a such thing?
3: Well, I'm at the north end of the valley because yeah. I'm actually out of the you. valley. Okay, Cave Creek is actually
1: a little above. Yeah, okay. you're. you're just up on the ridges of the mountains there. Yeah. Yep, the high desert for us.
2: And y'all talk about the ridge, and I'm expecting to see, like, a ridge. <laughs> no, 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 no. No, and there no. Yeah, y'all lie a lot. You, y'all, y'all, y'all make stuff up. Is what you do. But at Cave Creek, I used to spend some time up there, and they had a really cool place. I think it burned, but I heard they rebuilt it. And they have where people can actually ride, I can't remember if it was horses or, or the... Um, like the rodeo things where they buck you off. Uh, oh, the, the, oh, the, of the buffalo planet? chip. Yes, yes. Yeah. And they had the uh, kids riding the sheep, and I thought that was crazy. mutton busted. That <laughs> was crazy. Is it? Did they rebuild it because it oh, burned? Oh yeah, yeah, okay. yeah.
3: Actually, it was owned by a Maricopa County sheriff. Really, Larry Went was. Um, I guess he was. I'm not sure if he was a captain or a chief with Maricopa County. He was a pretty high-ranking official, and he owned—he purchased it from the troubled people that owned it when it burned down, and he made a beautiful establishment. You can go there on Sunday and go to Cowboy Church, and they have outdoor rodeo on Wednesdays and Fridays, and you could ride the mechanical bull or watch real cowboys riding real bulls. Now, I
2: enjoyed watching the drunks thinking they were going to get on one <laughs> and stay on it. And I thought, yeah, this is going to yeah. be worth my time. I see a team building thing and yeah. an opportunity for Joel. I've
0: actually done sheep riding when I was little.
2: I think you're a little big for the sheep riding now. <laughs> I'm
0: good, because um, I, I didn't win. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I have yeah. the scratches to prove
2: it. Those things move fast.
1: I tried the Mechanical Bull in Colorado when I lived there. Yeah. It- that's a that's an art.
2: I see a team building. Joel's going to ride a bull. You'll take one for the team, won't you?
0: Sure, sure. You heard it
2: here. Yes. So we will update y'all on our uh, producer doing bull riding, and Tom can get on the mechanical bull, and we'll yeah. put all of that all over our social our media. Social media. There you go. Absolutely. So right. our
1: guest, I since we didn't formally introduce you, you are a retired Suffolk County police officer and, and that's new york
2: suffolk county that's true Pe- suffolk county long island yes. new york new, yeah.
1: yeah long it, island it drives new
2: york. me crazy when people just do counties because there's other places that have a suffolk county, i don't think there's a maricopa new, county yeah, I anywhere don't think else so but yeah so let's be specific
1: <laughs> and you wrote a book um which is the dust never settles um about your time after 9 11 well, kind of your time before you were a police officer, then your time during nine eleven and your throughout your career till you retired in two thousand sixteen, right? Yes. Yes. And so our guest today is Stacy Goodman. Welcome.
2: Yes, and we had a chance Thank to you. meet Stacy um,
1: A few weeks just ago. Just a few weeks
2: ago at well <laughs> now, now it's almost two months ago, but <laughs> um, by the time this airs, uh, at our fundraiser for the comedy at the comedy club and we appreciate you coming out and supporting us and i know you said somebody told you about it and that's how you wound up there so
3: thank you for having me absolutely <laughs> we were an honor to
2: be here good terrific all right so tell us a little bit about you
3: well i was a police officer for almost 21 years with the suffolk county police department
2: and she can walk and talk i am telling you it's amazing
3: It's the basics. I can do the basics. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I retired as a detective with the Suffolk County Police Department. And I, as you've already stated, I've moved out here to Arizona, beautiful Cave Creek.
2: Now, Suffolk County, is that the one that I just remember my time up there? One of the counties was where everybody wanted to work. Most of them lived in that county, and they paid so much better than NYPD did. Well, yeah. Was that Suffolk County that well, was paying really yeah, well? Well,
3: Suffolk County and our sister county, Nassau County, which is the westernmost county out on Long Island. Long Island is broken up into two counties. Okay. Um, and you have Nassau County to the west end, and Suffolk County is the eastern end of Long Island. And then you have uh, individual towns like uh, Montauk and the Hamptons.
2: And Fresh Kills, the landfill. That's in... That's
3: part of the NYPD. The Fresh kill Landfill is on Staten Island. Staten Island. That's, that's part of the is, five right. boroughs of the of yes, New York City. That's right. So the NYPD has jurisdiction over that.
2: Yeah, it's an interesting place to say the least. <laughs> Lots to learn, and I, ne- you know, I have to tell you, for this southerner, who really the f bomb was just not at least my growing up, it just wasn't a word that was used a lot. You New Yorkers, y'all can use that word <laughs> in every form of the English language. I never knew it could be used as a preposition. Yes. Um, you name it. <laughs> preposition, what? adjective, noun. Oh, yeah. There's nothing, y'all, there's nothing. I, I've never seen anything like it. I became completely <laughs> desensitized to the word. Funniest thing I've ever seen.
1: Yeah. After I spent 10 years in the Air Force, I, I heard it so much that. Yeah, but I normal. bet that.
2: Yeah, but no, they don't use it like they do. No, well, I'm just telling you. Well, uh, I, I sat in debriefings and I was like, "Dang, <laughs> I didn't know it could be used that way. I never heard it used like that before." <laughs> use it enough;
3: it's very cathartic.
2: <laughs> I just tell them, "Bless your heart, and move on." <laughs> so, what drew you to law enforcement in the first place? Well, that's a funny
3: story, and that's also in the book. Um, I. Tried to follow in my mother's footsteps. She was um, an actress, and she worked for the state of New York. And I decided I was gonna get involved in the arts. I did, I, when, I was in, when I was in my 20s, I was, I'd like to say I was very artsy-fartsy. I, was, I painted, I did theater, I did a lot of extra work on movies, I actually made some money doing that, I got into one of the unions, And I start, halfway through all of that, I started getting cast as a police officer. (laughs) And I just didn't understand why. It was obviously my magnanimous personality. (laughs) And I tried out, they were going to do the female version of the odd couple. (laughs) And I was a huge fan, as I I mentioned in the book, I was a huge fan of Jack Klugman's. And I was like, I'm trying out for this. Well, of course, I landed the role oh, of funny. Myrna the cop as opposed to Murray the cop. <laughs> and this play, by the way, was sanctioned by its original author. Nice. Wow. So
2: I thought when you said you were following your your mother's footsteps, being <laughs> an actress, she was going to go into Vice or something. <laughs>
3: <laughs> so I, I get this role and now we have to get uniforms. And back then you would take a form from the union and just go into the city and go to one of these police supply stores and they would provide you with a uniform. And so that's what I did. And then we were going to do uh, publicity shots. So I had to put the uniform on. I had to make sure everything was right. Took one look in the mirror and it was like... An epiphany. <laughs> so she skipped the academy, <laughs> just went out on the street, told everybody, here I am. <laughs> yeah, but that was a New York City uniform.
2: <laughs> yeah, then you loud rolled over <laughs> yeah, the right. county. <laughs> uh,
3: So, yeah. So I, I, I did the play. I continued to <laughs> act for a little while after that. And then I started, I said, okay, let me see if this is really what I want. And I volunteered with the Nassau County Police Department's Auxiliary Police. And it was like, it just fit I mean cool. I was so good at doing certain things the Nassau County Police Department actually had me training guys that were in the academy in certain basic things like uh, traffic control and 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 certain other basic things that I was able to do.
2: Wait, you weren't the dancing cop up there in New York, were you in that wasn't there well, a dancing well, cop at well the they intersections? Had, yeah, I kinda did that, but
3: not quite to the level of that. I wasn't quite that good because I really can't dance. But yeah, I would I would people would actually call the precinct if I was doing traffic control and like, who the hell is that tiny little female cop out there with the whistle hanging
1: out her mouth? But she's doing a really good job, but I always thought that that was fun. And the more you try to have a good time with people, the less yelling and screaming they do when they drive by you, you know. So it was always a good time.
2: Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, I like the stupid questions y'all talk about. Oh, yeah. Got a sign that says road closed. I can't go down that road.
1: Oh, yeah, no. (laughs) And it's the only way that they know how to get home, of course.
2: But I'm the exception. (laughs) Yes, they're very important. Yeah, I just don't trust people when they're driving enough to stand out in the middle of the road like some of you people. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah, I've had some close calls. I bet you have. Yeah, I don't like being in my big car with (laughs) other cars around. But, yeah, y'all do y'all. That's good. (laughs) So that's how you got into it. And what was the whole history of your career? 21 years is a long time, especially up there.
3: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I wanted to stay longer, but I couldn't because of – my injury to my lungs from working at Ground Zero, mm-hmm. I, I can't do cold weather. Sure. I cannot do cold weather. And, you know, all the guys I worked with, great guys, they're like, oh, you should stay to the end of the contract. You should – a couple more years, you could do it. And I'm like, no, I'll be dead by next year. I can't. I can't. So and I, retirement up there, is it 20? It, it was 20. I think – I'm not sure if it still is. Kay. So um, I don't know how they've – you know, I've been out a while, so I don't know. If they've changed it to twenty two or something. I know a lot of departments are starting to change.
2: Well, Chicago's uh, thirty. We did yeah. learn that recently. Thirty and yeah, minimum lot, age fifty five, and you go, whoa. Yeah, a lot of them have gone to twenty five years
1: now. Yeah, like okay, here. yeah,
2: Like here. Yeah. yeah. yeah.
3: So yeah, so.
1: so you first got some training while you're as you're still a volunteer. You got some training with the Red Cross, right?
3: Yes, I actually was a paid employee of the Red Cross, and I got – my title was disaster specialist, which was so perfect for me because –
2: does that mean you create?
3: <laughs> yeah. I'm like I'm like a little tornado.
2: <laughs> I can see that label here. <laughs> right.
3: Yeah. So I worked with them, and and I worked in conjunction with the Nassau County Police Department in uh, emergency preparedness because should there be a major disaster, the police department and the Red Cross will work hand in hand. Right. Sure. So I I got involved with a lot of tabletop exercises. Uh, A lot of natural disasters. We prepared for hurricanes, earthquakes, and the Red Cross dealt with you know home individual home fires, personal business fires, anything of that nature, and also on a larger scale.
2: And so, what year was that? All right, you're going to make me think. Yes, I am. So that was 1993,
3: 92. Because was that around
2: the time of the first attack on the world? Trade centers? Did the
3: you? first attack on the World Trade Center, they if I'm up? correct, was February of 1993. Okay. I was not directly involved with that. I okay. Obviously, I knew of it. Sure, That was the NYPD, FBI, and yep. any other alphabet soup that
2: was involved mm-hmm. with that. Yeah, that's where they put it on the wrong part of the basement. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Thank heavens.
3: But what a lot of people don't know, and I don't— I didn't mention it in the book because that's not for me to mention, but there was a real unsung hero um, who actually trains his employees how to get out of the towers after that bombing, how to mm-hmm. get out, which staircase to use, how to get out, where to meet, mm-hmm. and his entire
2: um, company survived. Nice. So Nice. He, did he have a military background? Yep. That's where he came from. That's yeah. what I thought. Yeah. Good. <laughs> well, why are you laughing, Tom? Uh, no, I see that I, I brain remember, working over
1: there. I don't remember I if it was in some other book that I read that talked about that guy. Yeah, His uh, first name was,
3: was Michael. I don't remember yeah, his last name. Um,
1: but he used to make the whole business do drills. Yes. And, and everybody was always bitching and moaning about right. having to do these drills. But. But Obviously, He kept he kept yeah.
3: telling people the next thing that's going to happen right. is a plane is going to come into yeah, these buildings. And people crazy. basically told him, be quiet. Don't talk
1: like yeah, that. Yeah, don't put that out there. What floor? <laughs> right. what, what floor yeah, of know, those buildings right. was he on? Do you
3: remember? It was one of the higher floors. Oh, yeah. I would have it yes. And he told them,
2: you know, which staircase to use and to yeah. be, you know. Wow.
1: That was crazy. Yeah.
2: yeah. That, whole, that whole, there's so much the public still has no ability to conceive of nine eleven, you, you had to be there.
3: Yeah, yeah. yeah. You, you could really show, had to be you, there. It's it's like showing somebody a picture of the Grand Canyon. Yes, you you really can't get the depth or the feel or the experience, mm-hmm. right?
2: Unless you're actually there. Yes,
1: so standing you, on the edge. Yeah, <laughs> yes, and then right. be there yeah.
2: throughout the process yeah. and right. watch the process and see because you no. just can't. Being just,
3: down at Ground Zero was like the smells. <laughs> it was the the smoke, the dust.
2: The landfill bothered me more than Ground Zero did. A lot of people said that. The methane gas combined with everything they were bringing over there. Because everything came there. Right.
3: And then it was sifted again when it got
2: there. Yes. Uh, Yeah, I was there once, and I said, No, I'll hang out at Ground Zero, if y'all don't mind. (laughs) Then I find out it was landfill, and if the slurry wall had busted, we'd all drown. But that was okay. (laughs) I found that out afterwards. Yes.
1: So... While you were working with the Red Cross, I thought it was funny that you were a whistleblower and you ended up getting fired from the position.
2: Oh, yeah. Nice.
1: (laughs) We like
3: whistleblowers. (laughs)
2: Yeah.
3: Yeah, Yeah, the the woman who was the treasurer at the time, she was very afraid, and she came to me, and she said, there's something not right. Something is not right with the money. (laughs) Go figure. So I'm a... I mean, I I may seem nice when I come to these things, but I'm a kind of in-your-face kind of person, so I don't make too many friends. And um, I got in somebody's face, and I said, you know, and the national chapter stepped in, and they did an audit, and they found problems, and people were fired, and one person felt so guilty, he actually had a heart attack and died from it. Wow. Yeah. So, um, yeah, money was being embezzled, and so the, the national chapter actually called me up after I was terminated and said, do you want your job back? I'm like, no, nope, <laughs> no, thank you. I'm done. No, I'm, I'm done. Gonna. Yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah I, so. I don't blame you. Why, why go back to that? Yeah. Yeah. So, so then now I, you're 29 years old, and you finally start the academy. You get through the background all that good stuff. My friends were amazed I passed the psychological. That was the big one. The
2: longer I do this, the more amazed I am. I'm thinking the psych yeah. tests are really messed up.
1: Yeah, because yeah, some of the cops that I know, too, are like, what? Yeah. Well,
3: Suffolk County had a very intense, very intense uh, background check and psychological. I mean, my neighbors would call me up, are you in trouble with the police? And I'm like, why? They were here asking questions yeah. about you. I'm like, oh, they're just doing background check for... Because I want to get what on I the thought job. was
1: funny, they also, was, was this for the Suffolk County too, that they, they made you do like projects in between? Or was that when you were the volunteer?
3: No, when, when to get on in order to, and this is before GPS, obviously, they wanted me to draw 3D drawings of all my previous employers on how to get there. Not like they didn't know <laughs> right. or couldn't find a map, but this was to weed out people who wouldn't do what they and some people right. like I'm not doing this crap to yeah. get a, you know, a job. And I'm like, me, I'm like, ooh, I love drawing. So there I was doing my 3D drawings. And I'm like, crap, I'm older than most of these people. I have to do a lot more than they do. But I did it. I did these real pretty so drawings.
2: I'd have had little stick figures. Right, well,
3: yeah. Oh, no, I did actual 3D with the
2: lines and the, the whole That's nine crazy. yards color-coded. See, oh, yeah. I'm not, I'm not talented in that area at all.
1: Well, from reading your book, she's like meticulous with paperwork and very organized so i could see how doing that drawing would be like oh, okay this is right up my alley yeah, yeah. <laughs> and,
2: and are you trying to say you have i moments not, of being that way tom
1: no i like <laughs> i can draw crash scenes very well uh-huh. and do it well on computer too but yeah that's about it
2: we want proof, don't we, Joelle? <laughs>
0: yeah. Tom, remember, Tom took you across the border.
2: <laughs> That's right. It was his fault, wasn't it? <laughs> That's a good point. So much for my
1: <laughs> directions here.
2: Yeah. yeah, co-pilot. No, he rides in the back seat. Next time we're near the border. Yeah. No.
1: <laughs> well, I I can empathize with you, I guess, because you started the academy older. You're 29. I started when I was 30. So I, I know going in, you're older than the majority of other people that are joining with you. That's That's got its challenges in and of itself right Did there. they
2: call you Grandpa? Uh,
1: no. I was the oldest in my class, but our senior class had a guy that was older than me, so he was Grandpa. Okay. all
2: right, Just wondering. Yeah.
3: I was in pretty good shape at that time. Like, too bad we didn't have cell phones so that were, like, you know, like they are now with the cameras on them. I mean, I was in good shape. I had, I mean, I was in probably the best shape I've I've ever been in my life. So. How long
2: was the academy up there?
3: It's six months. Okay. It's, you know, you go there Monday through Friday, nine to five. That's what it was when I went there. it's not a
2: live-in academy. Yeah,
3: no, it's not a live-in. And, um, you know, if you screw up on something, you have to do extra help on a Saturday. You don't get paid for that. You sign off on that. And I've had a, I had to do a couple of those. You know, I never handled a gun before that. And so I got a little extra help with that, a little extra help with the hand-to-hand combat because I was very small. I mean, I was only 110 pounds. So, yeah, okay, you're a little yeah. Bit of thing. Yeah, I was 109 going in, 109 going out. And i like, Goodman, will you eat? Eat eat, gain some weight. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm trying.
1: Don't want the wind to blow you away. Yeah.
3: <laughs> well, that and the 40 pounds around my waist uh, kept, me, kept me on the true ground. Too. Yeah, yeah. That will yeah. keep you
2: weighted down for sure. Um, so, I want to talk about nine eleven because, uh, again, this I, I just don't think people hear enough about it right. from different perspectives. Tell us about your part in this, when you got called, when you got down there.
3: Uh, I actually was working with a federal agency that was under Health and Human Services. It was a volunteer agency, which I got involved with when going back to the Red Cross, because of my disasters training, I ended up working with the medical examiner during uh, the tragic event, TWA Flight 800. Mm -hmm. So the medical examiner's office was right next to the precinct that I worked at. We literally shared a parking lot. So they're like, Goodman, you've had this training. You go over there. And I actually got—I had to drive the medical examiner around when our um, uh, community-oriented policing guys, the COPE unit, was off. They were off on Sundays and Mondays. So on Monday, I had to drive the medical examiner to Montauk to where they were bringing the parts of the plane out of the water. And we got to talking, and I— you know, I'm like, oh, I always wanted to be a medical examiner, you know, Quincy and all that stuff. and <laughs> But I just couldn't pass chemistry. The chemistry <laughs> teacher felt bad for me. So here I am. I'm a cop. And mm-hmm. he took a liking to me. So he's like, you know what? I want you to come work in the back with me and I'll show you how we do certain things. And, you know, you could do the security back because basically I was like a, a glorified security guard, you know, right out of the academy, right off the of field training, right into that. So then they were like, oh, you know, I met a few other people down there. And they're like, oh, you should join DMORT. And I'm like, what's that? You know, and it's Disaster Mortuary Operational Response Team. It's mostly made up of medical professionals that go all over the country for man-made natural disasters. And they help out. And they use their expertise. And they're like, oh, you could be the token cop.
2: My- okay, everybody <laughs> needs a token card. <laughs> so that's right.
3: So I joined, and you pay for your own uniforms. The the government gives them to you, but you pay them for them, and they they do all your training. So I got all my training, and my first activation was on nine eleven, and the the county executive, which is like a mayor, um, he did an executive order that allowed me to be paid by the police department but allowed me to serve at Ground Zero because DMOR at that time was a volunteer agency. But you're federal. still
2: employed by Suffolk County? Right. Okay.
3: So I actually covered all three bases. I covered because the, the criteria was either you were a volunteer, you were a federal agent, or you're, you're part of the police department. And I covered all three of those. I was being paid by the police department, but I got sworn in as a temporary federal agent, and I was working with the medical examiner, and I thought my job as a logistics coordinator was just gonna be whatever he needed, I'd make sure he had so he could do his job easier. We you know, had a tent put up right um, next to the pile, mm-hmm. and for those that don't know what the pile is, it's the 1.8 million tons of debris <laughs> that was left of the buildings. Jeez. Yes. you know. Um, so they brought all the remains in through us and the medical examiner just looked at me and said well this is a federal crime scene you were sworn in as a federal agent you're a police officer so you have to do preliminary ids before i'm
2: allowed to touch the bodies so that's what i did 12 hour shifts 23 days wow and yet one of the things that i was amazed at up there too was people didn't realize because it was a federal crime scene people would try to pick stuff up souvenir type stuff it, that was a huge mm-hmm. no no we yeah. actually had a chaplain who was escorted out and yeah, told they were never could wow. come back i mean you couldn't pick up a rock you, you, you could not pick allowed up to move nothing anything. nothing
3: mm-hmm. yeah yeah i saw paper on the ground from canter fitzgerald which was on the top floor and mm-hmm. perfect pristine but you didn't see any furniture everything it, was pulverized yeah
2: it was paper That's and debris crazy, from the building right. that yeah. was it. And it it looked it like
3: crazy. i don't know when you were down there but when i was down there it looked like it was snowing all the time the dust was still floating around yeah. there were fires down there for 99 days yep. afterwards as soon as they pull out a piece of steel Oxygen would go in, yep. and a fire would ignite.
2: Wow, yeah, it was burning for forever, and yeah. uh, and then to see the debris in stores, uh, like in their front windows for months, it would literally like sit, look like snow, and they would seal those things off, and and it, you just went, wow, this this thing was bigger than people even realized yeah. that it was.
3: Yeah, what really is is. Um, sad is that the media has been silent on what has happened after 9-11. Yes. Mm-hmm. There are more people, and it, not just first responders but oh, no. construction workers, iron workers, the restaurant owners that- Verizon workers, people yes. that owned property there, people that lived there they're all dying Yes, you know, yeah. from 9-11 related cancers or related um, illnesses. Sure.
2: Well, and you had businesses go bankrupt because the right. restaurants were cooking right. and giving food and doing mm-hmm. everything they could, and mm-hmm. they were exposed. Yeah. A lot of trauma yeah. to yeah. civilians that were on the yeah. bucket brigade. Yeah, uh, it, it was. Yeah, it was. It was a uh, quite an event.
3: But the interesting thing was, it was always quiet. That was that was like sacred ground. Yes, you didn't believe it or not? I was very quiet down there too. I'm a, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a talker normally, but I was it was quiet down there. And the the fascinating thing that always gets me is the
2: church, the little yes, church. The Episcopal Church that was right there. It on was the like perimeter. the
3: hand of God was covering this and protecting the property in the yep. church. It was the only thing that was not touched within right. the vicinity.
2: A few headstones were kind of burned or messed up, but it yeah, was just
3: mostly just the dust and the ash was on top of it. Wow. Even the trees still were fine, so a lot of the first responders would use that as a place
2: to to rest, sleep. Yeah, they and had a, massage uh, therapists. That's where I met the massage therapy nuns <laughs> from Ohio. <laughs> the were, they the, nuns.
3: were they on the nuns. they on the Spirit of New York because that that ship pulled in, and they had a lot of like uh, chiropractors on that ship. I don't
2: know. They were at the church at the most church. of the time. Is where they set up. And mm. what was interesting was that Episcopal Church, it turned out my husband at the time, his cousin worked at that church in with youth or something, so I had a direct connection to the church. But that was the place that everything was left. People would send flags. I remember a huge flag that was made with children's hands were the different colors for the stripes. It was it, it was quite a sacred mm. place.
3: Yeah, they, the... The preacher there had a red cloak, long red cloak, Mm -hmm. and it's in glass now, but you could still see it at Mm -hmm. the church. And there's a right at the bottom, right where one of the creases is there's a Suffolk County
2: patch that I left him. (laughs) 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 Yeah, that was, uh, we actually spent New Year's Eve there, and Giuliani was there with us for part of that time. Yeah,
3: he did a, a nice thing for all the first responders at the at the time, I think it was the Toys R Us right in uh, Midtown. Yeah. They closed the store, and they had a, like a big event, like a Christmas event hmm. for the first responders, and mostly it, were firefighters there. There
2: was a lot of good stuff that was going on that people didn't ever hear about also mm. from the media. That right. was the other part to it. That there was, you know, It was very obvious God was present, and I think that's what got so many people through it on a right. day-to-day basis.
3: September twelfth, two thousand one, was everybody was a patriot. Everybody had a flag, yeah, an right. American flag, yeah.
2: flying. And six months later, you'd be in Times Square, and they're like, people go, oh, and because well, we'd have our Alabama shirts and stuff. Oh, what are you doing here? Well, we're still helping. Oh, that's still going on. I'm like, you people ever leave Times Square? <laughs> no, because
3: New York and Long Island is one big bubble because everything is there. Yes. They have theater. They have. Yeah. Restaurants, they got everything they need right there. Yeah. And most people do. If they're going to do anything, they'll take a plane to California or a plane to Europe. They don't do anything in the middle states. Yep. The flyover mm. states.
2: <laughs> but they weren't even really that aware of what was happening right there at ground zero. It was like they oh, yeah. just. Oh, you know, they, their attention is like squirrel. Yes.
1: Huh, Here it is. Crazy.
2: Up, something else now. Yeah.
1: You know, you uh, so you had to I- identify or try to identify anybody that. Was first brought into the morgue, right? Yes. And I thought it was interesting. You talk about one particular event uh, where some fire guys are bringing in um, a body, and you then realize that it's a family of firemen bringing in mm-hmm. somebody, one of the fire guys that's related to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was four.
3: It was four brothers, and it was one of the brothers. So the other three were bringing in yeah. their brother. And, and sad to say, one of the other brothers died of uh, 9-11-related cancer, so yeah. there's only two of them left.
1: That's Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. The other hard thing that was
2: so weird for us was I remember being in the pit, and the whistle would go off when they'd find a body. And so all the cranes, any noise that was going on, it, I didn't know something dirt could be that silent. I'm telling you, <laughs> you could have heard a pin drop on the dirt. Man. It got so quiet. It was one of the eeriest silences I think I've
1: ever seen. Especially in, I mean, just think about how big that place is, you know, and everything that's going on. In New York. In New York, yes. around Ground Zero. Yes. And then you think of all that destruction that there had to have been just overwhelming amount of noise. you know. Oh, yeah? that, but then to have those whistles go off and then to be just deadly silent.
3: Well, the interesting thing is a lot of people left the city. hmm and, you know, a lot of people didn't. It, w- it was hard when I first wrote the book to explain what it meant. Nobody was around. But after COVID, I guess people can understand. <laughs> yes, Literally, they, they, That's right. they had smart signs that said freeway closed, Manhattan closed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You couldn't be on the freeways. You couldn't be on, or as we call them, parkways or highways unless you were police, fire, military, or, or you had a, had a job you had to do going going into the city, and I don't mean just like a job, a regular, a right. regular job. Right. I mean some kind of official right. government job that had to get done.
1: And how long did that carry on for? Do you know? Uh,
3: I don't remember the exact time, but it was a couple of weeks at least. For the first couple of weeks, they wanted to get the big, they needed to get the big cranes right. in there. They needed people off out of the way because battery park and the battery park tunnel that is aside from Times square that's like the Mm. center of business you're right you're just north of wall street over there Mm -hmm. a lot of businesses and um you know it's the world financial center right you know uh, uh,
2: right there yep
3: and those buildings were also damaged
2: Yeah. At one point, Papa, the organization I was up there with, I don't know if you dealt with them at all, police organization providing peer assistance. They moved us from where they had us doing the debriefings up to the top of the federal bank. And we're on the top floor of this thing, and all of a sudden, somebody goes, you know there's more gold down in the basement than in Fort Knox? And I'm thinking, <laughs> I don't know that this is where we need to be. <laughs> I'm not sure this is a good idea. Right. <laughs> and that was the other weird thing was the silence of n- nobody's flying in the airspace Yeah, at all. And mm-hmm. we had a plane actually come by that building, and every all the NYPD literally hit the ground. And all of us peers were like, is there something we need to know about? Because that wasn't a foreign thing with us,
3: but right. it was all military jets that yes. were for the first two weeks. You know, everybody, you know, that needed to get out of Manhattan had to rent a car and right. drive because, yeah, all the airports, yeah, were all closed down. Yeah,
2: yeah. all closed down. Yeah. But y'all are to be commended because I remember looking, and I didn't. I got there in November december early december i can't remember now the first time um but i remember looking at the pile and thinking oh my god this is going to take years and i was back there for the first anniversary and actually when they pulled the last beam out and i thought i have no idea how these people (laughs) managed to clear every bit of that stuff Get it over to the landfill. Now, it went on over the landfill for quite some time. It's
3: amazing how well people can work together when they have a common cause. (laughs) Yes. right.
2: Yes. And a common enemy also. Yeah. Yeah. That was the other thing.
1: Well, and then, you know, I mean, like you said before, on September 12th, the country was united. Yes. And so anything dealing with 9-11 stuff, you know, people were... Not excited, but they were more willing to do whatever it took to get things done and to help each other out, you know. So that was, you know, even that, I guess, mindset, you Mm -hmm. know, going forward to getting everybody together to to clean that pile out, you know, to get through it so that they could find any remains of anybody. You know, I mean, I think that was probably what was the driving force. Sure. You know,
2: And that was the impressive part to see the civilians and the people that were Having to deal with body parts. Right. I mean, I, I remember one guy with a head in a bucket and he didn't know what he had till he happened to slip and fall in one of the buildings where the water was still piling in there and out rolled a head and having to deal with him to try to help him process right. that trauma because that's hard enough for first responders, right. but a civilian, they're not expecting those kinds of things.
3: Yeah. They, they're... Um, the media was good in one aspect where they were asking people if they had, you know, if you knew somebody that was in the towers, do you have any DNA, like a toothbrush, a hairbrush? And as you know, back then DNA was not
1: like it is yeah. now. Yeah, right.
3: And even on the 20th anniversary, they actually identified two more victims hmm. through wow. DNA because DNA has gotten so much better. Sure. And, and New York, the New York City Medical Examiner has, has everything kept there, correlated, and ready to be identified if anything is found or if new DNA processes can be done.
1: Wow.
2: Yeah, it was amazing to watch them breaking dirt clods because over on the landfill they had the conveyor belts belts set up with these domes over them and to see them breaking up every dirt clod to see if there's a, a bone. bone and you had restaurants in there. So now they're having to differentiate between right. human and chicken or something else and it, it, you just thought, how do these people ever get through all this?
3: Damn. The rescue dogs were even impacted.
2: Absolutely. You Ooh. know,
3: we had to play hide and seek with them one night <laughs> because <laughs> their them. handlers were like, can, can we get some help here? Because if these dogs don't find yeah. anything, they're going to be depressed. Yes. So, and you know, they'd have to hide and the dogs would have to find them and then the dog would be all happy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and then and we w- could go on.
2: It was amazing. Uh, the And the dogs were the things that could break your heart. I met Apollo, who kind of became, he was a shepherd, who kind of became the face of the canines and stuff down there. And uh, I remember when I met him at a service, and he was next to me, and I said something to the handler about, oh, you know, how old is he? And he he was young, but he was so gray because that had aged him so hmm. much. I said, at one point, they went to exchange the peace, and I knelt down to pet Apollo, and he licked me from my chin <laughs> to the top of my head, and I looked at the handler, and I said, exchanging the peace in church with people will never have the same meaning that did. <laughs> but that poor dog looked to be probably 14, 15, and he wasn't more than like seven. Wow. Yeah. And they all died very soon, too, yeah. from stuff.
3: Yeah, they all had, well, they're smaller, and, you know, most of them did. They had protected them with boots, and, the boots. but, you know, they didn't wear masks right. or anything like that. Yeah, they
1: are breeding in the same crap everybody yeah. else was. Yeah.
2: When did y'all actually get decent apparatus? Because, you know, I know when we were there at least two of our weeks, we just had medical masks. That's all we no, had, and I some had, didn't even have that.
3: I, had, I was given military-grade masks. With the f- the filters to change out the cartridges. So I did that. But a I lot had. of
2: people on the pile didn't have that equipment for quite some time.
3: Right. Which yeah. is, again, the deaths now. And and I worked with doctors, and they wouldn't wear them. And they looked at me, they go, you're going to be the only one alive in 20 years.
1: <laughs>
3: <laughs> and they weren't wrong. Right. They weren't wrong. Sure. And they, they told us, you know, a lot of the people, a lot of the medical staff from, you know, uh, that I've dealt with through the World Trade Center Health Program. And they're like, yeah, the 20-year, that's the mark Mm -hmm. when weird things are going to start happening. Your Mm. body will still be processing this. These toxins will still be in your body. And after 20 years, you're going to get older. Your body's not going to be able to handle it uh, as as well as it does when you're young. Sure. So, I mean, they did baseline physicals on all of us. And, um, yeah, they weren't too far off.
2: (laughs) And, and I you know, I want people to buy the book why Why did you wait so long to write the book?
3: Well, I didn't wait. I wanted to have it out by the tenth anniversary.
2: <laughs> oh, it was a long it was a it long was, project me. Yeah. well i would i
3: would I would write something and then I would either have a flashback. I'd either get emotional, which I know I said I'm not really that emotional, which I'm not, but this is a very it's sensitive uh, yeah. uh, and very personal. yes. I hand wrote everything, and I didn't know what to do with it. So I ended up hiring an editor, webmaster, genius, I call him, because, mm-hmm. you know, I basically handed him pieces of paper and said, here you go, figure it out, you figure it out. That's what you're getting paid for. And he's smiling, he took it, and, you know, uh, he typed everything up, and he designed the cover for me, and he designed my web because I told him, and I, tell, I, I go, what do I always say? And he's like, you hate you effing hate computers, <laughs>
2: <laughs> and I and I do. I can relate to that, right, Joel? Yes. And you, Joel doesn't like me around computers either.
1: So. <laughs> um, you know, in your book, you you bounce forward and backward and stuff. And when I was first starting to read, I was like, I wonder why you're doing this. That's the way I think. And and was, my thought was is that you know, when you're writing something, you think about something else. And so, you know, I thought, well, maybe that's it. But I, after reading the whole book, I was like, okay, I, I understood everything. And because of you jumping back and stuff, you explained some of the things like, like being um, with the Red Cross and getting that training at the very first of your career, you know, um, so, and just how everything led into to things. But yeah, at first I was like, oh, I don't want this book's hard to read because you're you're here, you're here, you're here. But then after I was done, I was like, okay, everything fit together just like a jigsaw puzzle. And and it's, it was great. Uh, I really enjoyed it. Actually, my wife and I, we we bought one book. And so we would read it out loud to each other. You know, we take a couple chapters, a couple chapters, and that's how we went through it. And uh, I did enjoy the book. It was very, very personal, you know, story. I could, I could see where it came from the heart and some of that stuff had to have been hard for you to recall and write again
3: yeah but I, I felt it was important to you know for the history of Ground right. Zero and um, just to get it out there I mean this is American history this is, right. this is our this is our generation's Pearl Harbor mm-hmm. yeah. this is this is very important for the next generation to remember and when this all first happened and everybody um, with the uh, World Trade Center Health Program said it was a small group back then. It was just in New York, and they were like, "We want people to remember this. We want to we want to video interview people." Mm-hmm. And they actually started to video interview anybody that would volunteer. So I'm like, "I'll volunteer," and so they sat down with me. And these um, video interviews ended up in the Library of Congress. And for the 10th anniversary, CBS. Uh, wanted to do something special, so they went into these. There was over 250 of these interviews, hmm. which I think should be in the museum, mm-hmm. right? on on a On a continual playing, so people can hear from people who are actually that were down right. there, not just me, but the other 249 important right. people that were that, were, you know, were there that could, you know, give you a sense of.
2: Everybody had different perspectives. Right, right. there were so right. many different stories.
3: Yeah, everybody had a, a story about their experiences yeah. down there, and uh, so CBS went through all of these apparently, mm-hmm. and they they called a few of us and they said, would you be willing to be interviewed? We're going to come out to Long Island, so you don't have to you know make the trip into the city. And so Scott Pelley came out and he interviewed. There was me and there's five other people, so mm-hmm. there was six six of us total that were interviewed. And it aired on, um, I had to get permission from the police department to do this because I was representing mm-hmm. myself on TV as, sure. a, as a police officer. Um, and it came out and it was, it was pretty good. I was just trying to sit there and be quiet because I think I was the healthiest person in that group. Uh, a couple of people lost parts, a couple of people were on oxygen machines already and I just wanted to sit there and be quiet, but Scott Pelly would always pick on me <laughs> in a good way though so he's a very good interviewer so
2: was writing this did it start as something therapeutic for you, or did it you didn't even think of that and then it became therapeutic
3: I didn't think of that, but what's what's very uh therapeutic for me is talking about it now and and being Going to events and having people um, say, Oh, wow, you know, can you, you know, talk a a little bit more about it? I'd like to learn about it. What I really sometimes gets my ire up, and I think it's one of my triggers, is when people want to talk about like conspiracy theories. (laughs) (laughs) Planes didn't go into those buildings, did they? they It was lasers, (laughs) wasn't it? Well, I don't know. I was standing over the landing gear, so I really. Yeah, couldn't take a picture of it because you know the FBI was right there and they wanted to see him taking it. Pictures. There. Somebody yeah. dropped yeah. it there. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Landing gear yes. in the middle of New York City. Right. Absolutely. You never realize how big landing gear you is. You really you're standing <laughs> <all> over it. <laughs> that
2: stuff's big. Yeah. Well, the story that I loved here hearing about sadly was about the FBI agent that had been uh, Bin Laden's biggest nemesis and he had retired from the bureau and was working for one of the major companies. Right. And was killed that day. And yeah. I said, I hope that's something Bin Laden never learned about. Right. Um, mm. But that was, uh, I said, I don't know if anybody's written a book on that, but that would be a story to tell of what all he had done. Yeah. And how he had driven Bin Laden literally crazy. Yeah. And then winds up being in the one place that was targeted. Unbelievable. Makes you think. It does. Here we go to conspiracy thinking. No, <laughs> Let's talk about those, days. <laughs> what is uh, what's something really positive, though, that came out of all of this? Because that was one of the things we always ask our groups every time we did debriefings. What's something good that came from this? And they'd mm. look at you like, are you kidding? And then they'd start <laughs> talking. And all of a sudden, there were a whole lot of good things that actually had come out of it for well, them. Well, obviously,
3: I, as I mentioned before, the... The fact that everybody loved their country yes right. imagine
1: that yeah in, in a matter of seconds
3: yes in, in a matter exactly right. in a matter of seconds but what about you personally um i made some good friendships with cops and uh medical personnel from all over the country mm-hmm. um
2: what did you learn about yourself
3: that I have emotions.
2: <laughs> <laughs> but did you also find out maybe you were a little bit stronger than what you really even thought? Yeah,
3: I don't know how. You know, I I look back and I'm like, what the? I know. How did I? That must have been divine intervention because mm-hmm. I don't know how I survived all of that.
2: The yeah. hours, the work, it was just. Yeah,
3: it was, it was going back to the eventually you know everybody was out of the hotels and the marriott hotel they lost their 20 store 20 story building or 22 story building that was right between the two towers Mm -hmm. um and they lost some people so they they took us in because normally we would just sleep in tents or whatever sure but they had nobody in the rooms so the feds made some kind of arrangement with them and you know i worked the, the night shift they felt oh you're a cop you can work the night. meanwhile i never worked a midnight in my life so i work 7 p.m 7 a.m i'm like all right how am i going to get my body situated on this schedule so uh yeah just just the the outpouring of appreciation from from civilians everywhere
2: right. sure sure yeah, well, yeah, I, I do have to brag a little bit. I did get to stay in the Waldorf two of my five weeks. Yeah, that was nice. roughing it, boys and yeah. girls. <laughs> yeah, that was really hard doing that one. <laughs> it did make it a little easier to go home after being down in there. But, uh, yeah, you know, I think a lot of it, too, was who did you hear from that maybe you hadn't heard from in a long time that was checking on you uh, friends, family from different parts of the country. Yeah, even. There, were, there were a couple of friends that actually, you know, reached out, which was nice.
3: Yes. And, um... You know, because this, a lot of, you know, a lot of people couldn't get in touch with people. Mm-hmm. Cell phones were fairly new and they had taken down. Well, gosh, everything lot. was yeah. down. All communication yeah. was yeah. down. You yeah. couldn't reach people. Yeah. But when people kind of, you know, and the hotel was really, the, the Marriott was really good about making sure we got messages. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a roommate. She worked during the day. They had two of us in a room, obviously. She worked. She was some kind of medical professional. She worked during the day. I worked at night. So we never even, we left each other notes and she'd be like, oh, this person called you, this person, you know. And and I would try to get back to them. But
2: I don't know if you noticed it. one of the things I got so tickled at, the <laughs> Red Cross had the huge dome set up for Feeding people and that kind of stuff, and you'd walk in, and literally they wouldn't even have to be in uniform. You could tell because the cops would sit side by side around the outer <laughs> perimeter, all the way. And the firefighters are all in the middle in tables, and they're just you know, but all these cops well, are. Well, they
1: were all protected by the cops.
2: Yes, yes. <laughs> That's right. That's exactly right. And I just, I just walked in and thought, even something of this size doesn't change that attitude. <laughs> <That's
1: right.
3: laughs> yeah, no, no, it's almost ingrained in yeah, you <laughs> really. and you when
1: gotta you have ret- your back to yeah. the door <laughs> and when you retire
3: it doesn't change
1: Yeah. Yes.
3: When I go out with my
2: friends uh, now Stacy's gotta have her back to the door <laughs> oh, heck I wasn't a cop and it's rubbed off on me uh, And there was, but I remember somebody being in the Red Cross tent and I can't remember which actor it was that was in there that was not liked by the police because of some I'm sure liberal stuff he had spewed at some point And, oh, the grumbling and the – I don't know why the man stayed in there (laughs) because they weren't quiet about it. They were trying to act like they were being real discreet, but it was really loud. They were voicing their opinions about him
1: being in there. Well, I guess I can get a sense of what that would have been like because if – most of the New York cops that were down there are like like Rich Rich Mack. Mack.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I can totally
1: understand. (laughs) Yeah,
2: Rich is is special. There's no question. But I think there are a lot of them up there that are special, but Rich is definitely at the top of the list. And and he actually is probably one of the highlights. Gosh, I shouldn't say this on tape on radio because I'll never hear the end of it. But he was probably one of the highlights of of all of my weeks up there was getting to know that man and having him as part of the family with my kids and everybody. But, yeah, there were there were some of them like that. But, you, yeah, you can picture Rich trying to be really quiet about voicing yeah, his opinion, yeah, no. something he's not happy about. Yeah. yeah. So when did your book actually come out? It came out
3: uh, July, right before the 20th anniversary. Okay. So July of 2021. It came out, and um, it's on Amazon, but I discourage people from purchasing it on Amazon because... They don't pay that well. I have a, a website that people can use to purchase the book, and okay. I personally package them, sign them, send them out. Um, and my website is uh,
2: stacygoodmanbook.com. And Joel will make sure that's in the right. body also, okay, so that they yeah. get it that way too. Yeah. How's it been received? Have you had much feedback from different people that were um, there? And
3: well. I've had very good feedback mm-hmm. for about, I would say, about 95% of the feedback has been good mm-hmm. between police officers and the public. However, if you've been in the police department, you know, there's always somebody that's a little butthurt, if I can mm-hmm. say that on the radio. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and I've gotten a couple of death threats, and I've actually Jeez. met a firefighter who wrote a book and said, firefighters, and I said, that's because, you know, you can go out and write a book, too, you know. Uh-huh. You know, you, you know some, some cops will say, oh, well, you made yourself seem like such a great cop in this book. I said, no, I just described my experiences, and I even say I wasn't the greatest cop. I was a great street cop. And there are people to back that up. <laughs> as far as a detective, I was Okay.
2: But death threats over what? What was what was? Because being? a lot
3: of people still feel that I was not. I had a couple of cops say you were never there. I never knew you were there. I said, well, I didn't discuss it. Right. <laughs> I didn't talk about it. It was one of the things I did not talk about.
1: And and how is it everybody's business? You know. Well, well, it wasn't yeah, like everybody
2: that. knew everybody that it, was down there because exactly. it was right. it was a it yeah. It, it, yeah. it was pretty large area and it was pretty broken up in how they had it set up too that's
3: there were very few Suffolk cops there Um, there were a couple of um, our crime scene guys went there and only one time were they allowed because where I worked in the makeshift morgue cops were not allowed New York City I was assigned a New York City lieutenant to work under me which I thought was hysterical <laughs> I'm like here I am I'm a rookie cop Yeah, that's right. okay, <laughs> hey, LG,
2: go over there and do that for me <laughs> give me a cup of coffee would you? <laughs> that's
3: the joke I tell everybody but I didn't see that <laughs> Not uh, either. But one time our crime scene guys came into the tents and because they were requested to take some photographs for the fire department and they were like Stacy what are you doing here and I'm like working what are you doing here Wow. Probably probably same thing I'm doing here. Yeah. So I wish I took down all their names, you know, because you know, here you want proof? I got 20 pounds of paperwork at home that proves that I worked down there. Wow.
2: Yeah, it, like I said it was it, it was just such a uh, crazy event that it's just really hard to explain yeah. to people all the stuff and um, it, it was it was difficult emotionally, but boy, it was one of the most fulfilling things I think I'll ever be a part of. I don't know if that's how you feel. Yeah. But, yeah. And rewarding, I guess, too, which sounds kind of weird, but... Um,
3: yeah, I feel like I've served my country in some small way. Mm-hmm. You yes. You know? Yes. Um, I don't want to put myself on a scale of like what you did in the military or, you know, uh, um, but I feel like I've done something
1: greater than just being a police officer. Right.
2: Sure,
3: sure.
1: I mean, I can't even comprehend really what, what it was like. You know, like you talk about in the book about uh, when you're first responding to Ground Zero and you're driving through the tunnel and how, you know, just everybody's gray. You know, everybody's all white. And I remember, you know, I was I happened to be in Dallas, Texas, uh, at the University of uh, Texas for a reconstruction class during 9-11. And I remember coming down that Tuesday morning uh, to eat breakfast and seeing that, the first plane had hit the tower. And I was like, what the hell is going on? And then, you know, and so everybody in our class stayed at that same hotel. So we stayed there the whole day and we just watched the news all day. And we saw, you know, when the towers came down and the people running. And and I remember seeing, you know, everybody just in that gray, you know, that was just And the look in their eyes. Right. Overwhelming. And I don't think I can even comprehend what it had to have been like for you and you when you guys were actually there in the aftermath. You know, just something that I don't think... You can't put words right,
2: to yeah.
3: I try to describe it as best I can. Yeah.
1: But it's hard.
3: But, it again, going back to the picture of, of the Grand Canyon, you can't... Right. You could describe it all you want. You could show people right. pictures all you want, but unless you were there with the sights, the sounds, the mm. smells, and actually feeling... Yeah.
1: I guess then I would equate that to Uh-oh. how... I cannot explain my near-death experience. Uh,
2: yeah, that, just, that just crossed my mind when you said yeah. that, you and Aaron trying to have that conversation. Right. There are no words to describe right. certain things that happen exactly. in life, and this yeah. was one of them. Yeah. You know, to see a fire truck that has been rolled and squished to the size of almost a paper towel, or a roll <laughs> yeah. of paper towels, Man. and you go, yeah, what how, was that?
1: How is that even possible? Yes. Right.
2: Yeah, and, uh, and I don't think that the museum even conveys... Enough of it.
3: Yeah, well, that's, yeah, I, I wish they would have really consulted with some people that actually were down there. I mean, there's a few things I think they should, like I said, like I mentioned
2: before, add. Um, well, I think part of it is a lot of the stuff went to just the family section where only the family can go. And there were, there were just things that I felt like there was, there, I know in the museum when I went, there was a fire truck that looked almost normal. And I thought we don't need that, we need the one that shows right. the real devastation. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well again, you're
3: you're you're dealing with a a part of the country that's um doesn't like to show the the dirty laundry. Right. Mm-hmm. Kind of so to speak. Yeah. Mm-hmm. For for lack of a better word. Right. Yes. But you know what, people need to see that. Absolutely. Exactly. People need to see that. People need to know that there is this evil.
2: Yes.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Yes. Absolutely. Well, Stacey, you know, uh, we wish you the best on the book. I think it's amazing that you wrote this, and we hope that people will read it because, again, this is a different perspective than some of the others. And, you know, what's weird is, and I probably never thought to look at it, I don't even know how many books have been written about 9-11, to be honest with you. I know there are some, but maybe not as many as should have been written and again don't look at me like i'm going to because i've been been writing my other book for 30 years it's probably still never going to get done unless joelle writes it for me um but uh we'll make sure all the information is posted so people know the best way to get it because i'm kind of like you you know we don't necessarily have to get everything that we have in life on amazon and uh just happy to have you here in arizona now and i know you're out speaking and telling your story as you should and Um, You know, anything we can ever do for you here at Under the Shield, you know where to find us.
1: See, I didn't buy it on Amazon because I have.
2: <laughs> oh yeah, I know you got it for me. <laughs> he wrote her name in it. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> he, I get a lot of
3: you sign your name like that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I wrote a lot of tickets when I was a patrol cop. That's like You want to see my driver's license? That's the way I sign my name. <laughs> That's
2: it. Uh, but best of luck to you and all that you're doing as you travel Thank around you. and continue to. Because people do need to reminded yeah. this happened. We we right. forgot it too soon. Yes, I'd love to see everybody with the American flag, magnets on the side of their car exactly. and the flags blowing uh, from their antennas and stuff. We need to get back to, to that day. And I Absolutely. don't want it to take an event like this for right. it to happen. Yeah. That's right. the saddest exactly. part. Exactly.
1: Our country really needs to come together as a whole yes. instead of how divided that we are right now. It's it's crazy. And you think that this one event changed all of America in a matter of seconds, but we definitely don't want to have something like that to happen to, to bring death us back together and yeah.
2: devastation yeah. for people to realize right. how great this country exactly. is. Exactly, that's for sure. Absolutely. Yeah, Joelle, this, you were barely born when all this went on. <laughs> I you probably don't remember half what we're talking about, but that's okay. You can read about it, too. We'll, we'll tell you. You what, can sit on my lap, and I'll tell you all about it. <laughs> what stuck
0: with
3: him probably was the cell phone thing, right? So they didn't no. have cell phone phones? <laughs> no,
0: I was in uh, fifth grade.
2: I said he was a baby. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I I don't think there's anybody, even young children, who don't remember where they were when this right. happened. That's for yeah. sure.
3: Yeah. And, uh, Every, everybody I speak to, they always say to me,
2: oh, I know exactly where I was yep. on that yeah. day. Yes. Yeah. So for all of the first responders, military, and families out there listening, you know, one of the things we always try to make sure you know is how much we appreciate you. Uh, the sacrifices that you make on a daily basis, not just people that respond to major events like this, it's right. a it's a day to day thing, and families are greatly impacted by this lifestyle, and uh, that's what we're here for. That's what it's all about. You know, it said it breaks my heart when police officers and so sit on my couch and they go, "Susan, how come I have to die before anybody really cares about me or my family?" And right. I go, "That's what we're here for." Exactly. We're we're here for the front end and the preventative and the. Back in on whatever else needs to be done. And we want you to know that we value your anonymity, that this isn't about confidentiality at Under the Shield. It's about anonymity, which is the strongest form of confidentiality. Never keep notes. Never keep records. Don't ask you your name. You can be whoever you want to be, Bugs Bunny, Daffy Duck, Joe Biden, kind of in that same family with (laughs) Daffy Duck. But anyway, (laughs) Is VP, 2 I'm not sure who we connect her to, but somebody in the cartoon world. And uh, all you have to do is call us. And I know that's a hard call. I mean, I've talked about this. The hardest thing is picking up the phone the first time. Call us at 855-889-2348. When you hit extension one, you will get a stress coach. Let it ring. It's rolling to whoever's available. um, And we do not have your phone number. The number you dial is the number that pops up on the stress coach's phone. So if you get disconnected for some reason, you got to call us back. We have no way to reach you. You never have to worry that we're going to send somebody to do a welfare check, like your police department coming to your door, because we don't have your information. Um, You can reach me through that number on extension 2. I'd rather you call my cell uh, or text me at 334-324-3570.
1: And you can reach me on that extension, too, on our 855 number uh, for extension 4. Or you can call me on my cell phone number at 480-861-6574.
2: In extension 3, you'll get David Cohen in Alabama. He was fire marshal. Uh, His wife also is one of our stress coaches. She was a dispatcher and a police officer. Um, The key is just to reach out. Right. Let us know how we can help. Families, please call us. Because, again, you are impacted by all of this. And if it's your loved one that you're worried about, call us. Maybe we have a trick or two up our sleeves after 31 <laughs> years. And they, they they all claim I play Jedi mind tricks. I don't know what they're talking <laughs> about. Uh, but maybe there's a way we can help uh, get your loved one to reach out if if you're concerned about something going on with them. Right. So thank you again, Stacy, for your time. We appreciate you coming in, driving all the way down from the... What'd you call it? The Rim? (laughs) The The Ridge? Ridge. The Ridge. Uh, High Desert, whatever the heck that is. I'm still trying to figure that out. They just give fancy names to things out here. Whatever. makes them feel better. Um, But we do appreciate you coming in, and we'll have the book information out. God bless all of you. Again, thank you for your sacrifices. God bless you. God bless your families in this great nation that we live in. Joelle, thanks for being here today. We appreciate you coming in. Of course. You know, you've worked hard recently, (laughs) and so we'll make sure you get your paycheck. (laughs) Stay safe and take care, and call us if we can do anything.